The three great monotheistic religions all share a common reference point in the patriarch Abraham. And they actually share many things in common, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. But where Christianity differs from the other two most, besides the obvious one, the doctrine of the divinity of Christ, is in our attitude towards law, known as halakha in Hebrew and sharia in Arabic. Now, it isn't because law doesn't exist or doesn't have meaning for the Christian. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus says, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. But for Judaism and Islam, law has an entirely different weight than it does for Christians. When it comes to eternal salvation, most of the Jews in our Lord's time, as well as today, don't believe in an afterlife as such at all. So law is simply about doing what God has said in obedience to the fact that he said it. In Islam, there is a final judgment and an afterlife, and all of our deeds, good and bad, are weighed out at the end, and that will determine heaven or hell for us. But those good deeds are governed by laws to ensure a just society here on earth. Both are essentially this world oriented, and laws multiply to cover every conceivable human situation. Christianity, in contrast, reminds us that this world, as wonderful and amazing and blessed and created by God as it is, is not our true home. And works by themselves, no matter how good they are and how many they are, are not enough to merit heaven. Only the free gift of God's grace freely cooperated with by our human will under faith can be fruitful in good works and see us off to eternal friendship with God in heaven. Now, it is important for us, too, to work towards a just society, but the Christian doctrine of original sin teaches that we are never going to see perfect justice in this world. We have to wait for the establishment of the reign of Christ as king over the whole world. In Judaism and Islam, the this-worldly orientation means that laws and politics that govern all of human existence on this earth have a much larger place in religion than they do for Christians who don't invest their hope in this world because it's passing away. Judaism and Islam put great stress on the scholars of the law more than theology as such. Their faithful often look to legal experts to guide their lives, even in 
the most minute detail. Nowadays, you can actually go online to get a fatwa, right, or a determination of what to do, and your choice of expert is really important because it has a binding nature. But in less technological times, their faithful often were disciples of a great teacher and master of the law. And so when people encountered our Lord, they were looking for someone who would be a great guide, a teacher, and master of the law. For Christians, Jesus himself is the lawgiver and is the ultimate interpreter of the law. But law is not about putting every single possible human action under a statute to render you pure before God. Judaism and Islam have an impressive body of laws which dictate things even such as how long your hair should be, right? how you eat and what you eat, and so much more. Christianity, however, leaves great freedom in so many areas of life that other religions tend to dictate. So why is this the case? Well, as Christians, we believe that we are made in the image and likeness of God, gloriously free. And if we are made in the image and likeness of God, gloriously free, then the only thing that can compromise that freedom is what is and what is not in accord with the nature of God himself. What constitutes authentic human flourishing is the important thing. And whether you eat pork or shellfish with your right hand or your left, or whether you wear a wig over your hair if you're married, for Christians that's all pretty irrelevant to being a good person reflecting the goodness of God. For Christians, this virtue-oriented attitude towards the law it's something that begins already at baptism. In the blessing of baptismal water, the church prays, O God, who by the outpouring of the flood foreshadowed regeneration, so that from the mystery of the one and same element of water would come an end to vice and a beginning of virtue. Look now, we pray, upon the face of your church and graciously unseal for her the fountain of baptism. May this water receive by the Holy Spirit the grace of your only begotten Son, so that human nature created in your image and washed clean through the sacrament of baptism from all the squalor of the life of old may be found worthy to rise to the life of newborn children through water and the Holy Spirit. An end to vice and the beginning of virtue. Jesus comes to reveal not a multiplicity of laws, but the inner meaning of virtue. Baptism renews and restores human nature to its original glory, and the life of the disciple is about learning how to walk in that glory all the way to heaven. Now, you may be sitting there this morning and thinking, wait a minute, Father, 
Okay. So doesn't the Catholic Church literally have a code of canon law, right? It has all kinds of rules that we're expected to follow under pain of mortal sin. We just had a holy day of obligation last week, right? I mean, every diocese and every parish has all kind of policies that you expect us to follow. So how is that any different than the 613 commandments of the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' time? Ah. Yet the first canon of the code of canon law is the salvation of souls is the highest law. All of the disciplines of our faith are there to educate us in virtue so that we may be trained in becoming more loving people. Love is the law, and when we love, not according to a sentimental, this-worldly, emotional love, but in the way God loves, that gives us an essential freedom that exists within even the most scrupulous observance of ecclesiastical discipline. The distinction between unchanging doctrine and ever-changing disciplines lived out under the living authority of the church is one which doesn't have a complement. It's not replicated in the other Abrahamic religions. But you know, there is a tendency, even among some Catholics, to still view our own ecclesiastical discipline as just a Christian sharia or halakha. You know, there are Catholics who ask their priest any number of extremely complex questions about various situations, right, looking for an airtight answer, right? You know, it is really amazing sometimes kind of the questions that I get, and I'm like, I can't even follow that. Like, what are you asking me, right? And then, and I want to be rather delicate here, you know, sometimes people will come to me with rather nuanced and complex questions about the sixth, the ninth commandment, and I'm like, I'm a celibate. I don't even know what you're talking about, right? So, it's like, if I have to look it up in a dictionary, maybe we shouldn't be having this conversation, right? So. Now, sometimes people say that they do this because, well, you know, I just want to know because I just don't want to go to hell. Okay, well, that's a good thing, right? But often behind it is a minimalist approach to faith. How much can I get away with and still go to heaven? It is very much still a reward and punishment approach to religion, rather than how does the virtuous life lead to authentic freedom in Christ. Christian life is not about remembering and doing a million observances. All of those observances are disciplines to train us towards greater love and actually freedom. Christian life is about the freedom to love as God loves. And this is the point that our Lord is making in Matthew chapter 23. They tie up heavy burdens hard to carry and lay them on people's shoulders, but they won't lift a finger to move them. If your religion has become so burdensome that you're in a constant state of fear and anxiety that you're going to hell, 
then that is not the fault of the virtue of religion. It is a deformation of the true inner meaning of faith which is revealed in Christ Jesus. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to His people and set them free. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant. This was the oath He swore to our father Abraham, to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship Him without fear, holy and righteous in His sight all the days of our life. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. 